Welcome again, everyone. We're so glad you're here with us today. Welcome Smyrna Campus. We love you guys. Glad you're connected there. Everybody connecting with us online. We're so happy to have that connection with you as well. We are continuing a message series that we started last week called Matters of the Heart. Uh, the theme verse for this series is Luke 12, 34, where Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Last week, we began the series talking about the source of our blessings, who is God himself. And this week, we're going to be talking about the test that God says we can give him. Now, if you're visiting with us for the first time, we want you to know we, we do a stewardship series every uh, November, uh, every year. So don't think this is uh, something we harp on stewardship every week, week in and week out. We don't do any high pressure twisting of arms uh, to get people to give. Uh, we do have a collection team. Uh, Guido heads that up and he goes out and collects for us. But no, we don't, we don't do any of that. Uh, we, we just are thankful for people who give what they've decided in their heart to give and they support the work and the ministry of the church. We want this to be a joyful thing as God designed it to be for all of us. Uh, there was a, a devastated looking man that knocked on the door of a church that was known for its generosity, its charity in the community. Yeah, and the pastor went to the door and greeted the man and he said, please, can you help this poor tragic family down the block? The father just lost his job. His wife is too ill to work. They're about to be uh, e evicted from their home uh, unless somebody can pay their rent. The pastor said, well, that's awful. We hate to hear that. We try to help uh, every way that we can with things like this. Uh, can I ask who you are? He said, yeah, I'm the landlord. <laughs> Here at Lakeshore, we are privileged to have people who, of course, generously give to the work of the church and the ministry here. And through that, uh, give, those, that giving, we have, the Bible refers to it by a term, the storehouse. And out of that storehouse, we're able to fund ministries and missions and outreach and support, helping families in need. We're able to do that because people faithfully give their tithes and offerings to support the local congregation. And we find in Scripture that that is the pattern that God set way back in the Old Testament in His uh, covenant with the Jews. He set this pattern looking for the present and looking for the future of how ministry was going to be funded by the very people of God that are, are the beneficiaries of God's blessings and God's uh, gift of salvation through His Son, Jesus. So we are part of that continuing legacy that God established there in the Old Covenant. Uh, today I want us to look back at, at the last book in the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. If you'll turn there, we'll be looking at Malachi chapter 3. It's a passage there that is uh, one of those passages that is, is essential for our understanding of how God's plan was set up and established to work from the very beginning. Malachi chapter 3. Uh, in this passage we're going to be looking at, there is a setting I want you to know about the context of what's being talked about here. The people of God had uh, enjoyed a lot of blessings. God had given them the land that they possessed, and in that land they had been blessed greatly. But He warned them against doing that. Remember, if you were here last week, if you missed that, it's, uh, you can go back and catch any of our series or messages on our YouTube channel. But, but if you were here last week, you know that God had warned them that when you go into the land and you begin to have those blessings, the, the temptation was going to be to forget God, to forget the source of your blessings, to forget how, who it is that supplied you with the good things that you have. The Bible says every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. Every good thing we have, He's the source. 
And so what has happened when we pick up here in Malachi 3 is exactly what God warned them might happen. They had forgotten about God. They had stopped honoring God. They had stopped having gratitude in their hearts for the blessings of God. And not only that, but they were suffering the consequences of forgetting God. See, what we forget sometimes is that when you disconnect from God, the source, you also disconnect from his care, from his blessings, from his oversight, from his direction in your life. When you choose to disconnect from him, you lose all of that. Now, we still expect it, and that's what these people were expecting. So they were complaining against God. God, you've forgotten us. God, you're not taking care of your people. God, you're not providing what we need. You're not, you're not letting us be the people that, that, honor, that show, you, uh, show the rest of the world how, how you honor your people. You, you've let us down, God. They're complaining against God. Now, the reason I mention that is because I think we all have a tendency to lean that way when things aren't going well in our lives. We start wanting to maybe blame God that things aren't going the way they ought to go. We're not being blessed the way we want to be blessed. We're not being taken care of the way we want to be taken care of. And sometimes it's just because even when we're being faithful, God has a different plan than what we think it ought to be. But sometimes what's going on is we've forgotten God. We're not honoring God in the daily decisions of our lives. And we're just suffering the natural consequences of being disconnected from him. When you disconnect from God, it'll affect your marriage, people. When you disconnect from God, it'll affect your parenting with your kids and your family. When you disconnect from God, it's going to affect even your attitude in life and work and, and serving in the community. You lose that connection to the source of blessing. The source of life itself is God. And so when you allow yourself to get so connected to the world and the things of the world that you get disconnected from God, you can expect the consequences will not be good. But instead of blaming God, getting mad at God, there is another option. And that's what we're talking about here in Malachi 3. Instead of just griping and complaining about how bad and hard things are, there is another option. And he's talking about that other option here in Malachi 3. Let's pick up with verse 6. I, the Lord, do not change. Now, that's a good principle to start with because they're saying God has done what? Changed. He's not the same God he was. He's not blessing like he used to bless. He's not taking care of us the way he used to take care of us, right? They're saying God has changed. Isn't it funny how often when things aren't going well in our lives, our first response is other people aren't doing what they ought to do? And maybe even God himself isn't doing what he ought to do. That's, that's what they've been doing. In fact, they've been openly griping and complaining against God. But look at what he goes on to say. I, the Lord, do not change. See, you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. <laughs> God is getting things back in line. He's saying, it's only because I haven't changed that you haven't even been destroyed already. Because had I changed, my covenant would no longer have been there to cover you and you would have been destroyed a long time ago. It's not me, God's pointing out, who has changed here. 
And that's the only reason you haven't been destroyed yet. He says in verse 7, Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. So let's stop there for a minute. God says, guess who changed in this scenario? You did. In fact, he says, since the time of your ancestors, what have you repeatedly done? You start out honoring me, you start out obeying me, you start out following my teaching, but then what happens? You turn away. You're the ones that have changed, not me. And you're griping and complaining? Really, if you want to blame somebody, you need to start looking in the mirror. You need to start examining yourself. You need to start asking why things are different and why you are now doing things differently that might be the cause of things being different for you now. When you do things differently, things change in any area of life. You change habits, you change practices, it changes the outcome of your life for the good or the bad, depending on what changes you make. They had made some changes to turn away from God, to not follow His teachings anymore, and now they're getting the consequences of that, and they're mad at God, like we often are, when we're not even being obedient to God. So I want to start today by looking at the invitation God gives them in that, those verses that we just read. The invitation from God is this, return to me, and I'll return to you. That's the invitation. Now, the amazing thing about this invitation is it's a standing invitation from God. You know what a standing invitation is, right? It's always out there. It's always available. In fact, it has been available the whole time that they've been turning away from Him. The invitation was already there. God's just repeating the invitation to them again to make sure they know the invitation is there, the invitation is open, He's ready to receive them back again as soon as they're willing to do what? Return to Him. Instead of wallowing in self-pity and blame, how about just making the decision to turn back to God? Now, turning back to God is more than just saying, God, please bless me again. That's not what returning to God is about. There's a word used in Scripture, and in fact, this command is given more than any other command in Scripture. You know what it is? It's not believe. It's not love. The one command repeated most often in Scripture is repent. You know what repent means? Turn around. Go a different direction. Don't keep going down the road you're going down right now. God hasn't moved, right? Remember God says, I, the Lord your God, I don't change. I'm there. My promises are there. My blessings are there. My resources are there. Uh, my care for you is right there. But you need to turn back to me if you want that. Which implies that they had turned to other things instead of holding on to their faith and their trust in God. That's one of the biggest challenges, I think, for the American church because our country is so blessed and because we have access to so many material things. And I know we think we're not wealthy sometimes. We think we're, you know, maybe we are struggling. We're having a hard time paying the bills, and that, that's the reality that we put ourselves in. But here's the thing. We still have access 
and in, even in our possession many times, more material blessing than any generation that's ever lived. And it's caused us many times, even Christ followers, to start putting our trust in those things and those material blessings instead of keeping our faith and our trust where it was supposed to be all along, in God. And these people had gone into this land that God gave them, had blessed them in that land. Now they're struggling in that land and things aren't going well. And now they're trying to blame God when they're the ones that need to, God's still there. He's still there keeping his covenant as he always has. He's a faithful God. He needs them to turn back to him if they want to have that relationship that is a blessed relationship with God. And from time to time, I think as Christ followers in the church today, we need to be reminded and challenged to repent of putting our trust too much in the material things of this world and to turn back to God and our trust, our faith, our confidence in Him and not in ourselves any, or, or the stuff or, or the ability to get the stuff, but in the God who is the source of all the stuff. Let's go back to honoring Him. Now, how do you turn back to God? What does that look like? Well, repentance looks like this. As you stop doing some things that God says you shouldn't be doing, and you start doing some things that God says you should be doing. That's repentance. It's not just crying, saying, I'm so sorry, please give me what I want. That sounds like a spoiled brat, right? We're spoiled brats with God a lot of times. We just want to say, I'm sorry, and move on and let God bless us again without making the changes, without getting back on track with our lives. We just want the blessings. You see, we love having Jesus as Savior, but the hard part is having Jesus as Lord. And He can't be Savior unless He's also our what? Lord. Those go together. Lord means ruler. It means he is in charge of our lives. So if we're going to claim Jesus as Savior, we have to surrender to Jesus as Lord, which means we come under his authority, his teaching, his guidance, his direction. We allow him to rule over us out of gratitude for what he's done for us. So God is challenging these people. Return to me. He says, I'm going to return to you when you do that. He doesn't say, I'm going to return to you because you cried out and complained. He doesn't say, oh, I'm sorry, I, I, I forgot, you didn't have what you needed, let me give you that. That's not what God said. God said, here's the deal, I haven't changed, you need to get back on track. I'm still the same God, I'll still bless, I'll still cover, I'll still protect, I'll still care for you, but you need to get back in line with my teaching if you want that blessing. And so many American Christians, because we put trust in stuff, sometimes we let got it out of balance more than trust in God, is we're not managing the stuff God entrusted to us the way God wants us to manage it. And we're not obeying the principles, like the principle that he's going to talk about here. It's not the only one. They were doing other things wrong, too. But the one God points out here that they weren't really taking care of like they needed to was in the area of their tithes bringing their ties to the storehouse of God. So the challenge is this, the, 
the invitation is this. God says, I've heard your complaints. I've heard your, your crying out, saying things aren't good, and I'm not a good God anymore. Here's the deal. Return to me. I'll return to you. So maybe we need to start there, even in our own personal lives, right? If we're struggling, if we're tending to complain and gripe about how things are going and the challenges we have, maybe we need to stop and make sure we've returned to God like we need to. He's the one we're turning to, not, not just griping and complaining about stuff. Let's make sure we're under the teaching of the Savior we claim is our Lord. And let's start doing things His way again. And it may not be that we're out of line in every area. We may be doing some of that really well, but when we're only partially obedient, you know what we are? Disobedient. Partial obedience is disobedience. We need to make that connection in our hearts and our minds. This is a matter of the heart. If the heart is surrendered in obedience, then it's surrendered in all areas of our lives. In our marriage, in our, in our parenting, in our work life, we're surrendered in our handling of material possessions. We're surrendered to the teachings of Jesus. If we're disobedient in any of those areas, then we're disobedient followers of Jesus. So we need to bring ourselves. We're not going to be perfect. He's not expecting perfection. He is expecting obedience. When we know his teaching, when we understand his teaching, we need to apply that teaching to our lives and walk in obedience to that teaching if we want the blessings of God. So he says, return to me and I'll return to you. Well, they're probably, and we see in this verse, they are thinking this, they're wondering how exactly does that look? What, what are we supposed to do? How are we not with you, God? Why, why do we need to return? What's the problem there? Well, that's the second thing we want to look at. It's the problem they were dealing with. Look at, uh, let's go back to verse 7. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees and not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Right? So it's on their mind. Now, if they're like most of us, what they want is a quick, easy fix. Right? We, we don't like the way things are right now. Fix it right now, God. What do I need to do today to get these blessings back? What I need today to, to get the, the money I need, the, the, the house I need, the car I need. Right? Just tell me what I need to do today. Let's get this thing fixed, and I want immediate results. That's how we treat God a lot of times. So they said, all right, well, how are we to return? And here's how he leads into what they need to do. Will a mere mortal rob God? Good question. If he's God and we're just mere mortals, I like that translation. It's a really good translation of the Hebrew there. We're just mere mortals compared to God. Sometimes we think of ourselves as more than that, but that's what we are. We're mere mortals. We're creations of the creator, God. Will a mere mortal rob God? Now, the reason he puts the question that way is he wants them to really start grasping how absurd it is to think it would be okay for us to do that. Right? Why would it be okay for the creation to rob from their very creator? What circumstance would make that okay? What circumstance would make you think that's a good thing? How in the world would you start thinking it's okay for you to rob me? <laughs> I 
But you ask, he knew what was going on in their minds. How are we robbing you? Oh, God, we would never do that. We would never rob from you, God. You've got it all wrong. Certainly we're not ever thinking that we should rob from you. And probably every Christ follower today would say, it's not okay to rob from God. That makes no sense. It wouldn't be right. But what God's going to point out is, well, you may say that, but that's what you're doing. Listen. You ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. <laughs> Whoa. You know, sometimes people tell me, Pastor Andy, you really stepped on my toes today. Just understand that if I step on your toes, mine were right there too, okay? We all struggle with stuff. We all have things that we need to work on. And sometimes that wouldn't step on my toes, but maybe sometimes it would, right? Just like in your life, sometimes you got that part taken care of, you're doing really well, but sometimes you may be out of line in that area. So if I happen to preach on it that Sunday, you know, I step on your toes that Sunday. He just stepped on some toes big time. He said, how in the world are we robbing you, God? We'd never do that. Well, you are in your tithes and offerings. Now, you can't rob something that belongs to you already. You understand that connection? So who do the tithes and offerings belong to? God. The only way we could be robbing from God when we withhold our tithes and offerings is they belong to him to start with. Right? That's what we talked about last week. Who's the source? God is. What does God own on this earth? Every single thing. Even all the people. He owns it all. The scripture's clear on that. So if we're not bringing him his tithes and offerings, that means who are we robbing from? God himself. They belong to him. Now, we like to think of every reason in the world that doesn't apply to us, right? But God, you know my situation, you know how hard it is, you know how I'm struggling. But, you know, we start naming all those things that should excuse us from having to do this. And I'm sure those people had made those same excuses the whole time they stopped bringing God his tithes and offerings. Oh, but God, we're struggling right now. This is a tough month. You know, the crops didn't do too well. Uh, uh, so the, the price for the livestock has gone down. I'm not getting as much for it as I used to. You know, all, we start naming all the things in their culture that would have been negative things that they think maybe gave them the right not to bring God his tithes and offerings. But God said, when you don't bring them, you are doing what? Robbing me. We want God's blessings while at the same time we're stealing from him what belongs to him. Now, how inclined are you to want to bless somebody that's stealing from you? Are you inclined to really want to bless somebody like that? Neither is our father. He's not inclined to want to bless people that are actually robbing from him. So instead of griping and complaining at God, let's look at the real problem here. The real problem is maybe we didn't realize it. Maybe we didn't even understand it that way. But now that we do see it, we have to understand the problem is us stealing from God. 
That's the problem. You can't be blessed by God while you're knowingly stealing from him. Will a real mere mortal rob God? Now, a tithe, just so you know, some of you maybe haven't, uh, we have a lot of people here that weren't raised in church or raised from different backgrounds, and maybe you've not heard of a tithe. The word tithe itself means a tenth. And in God's law with his people, he had established this principle, this teaching, this uh, lifestyle to follow, which included what became known first as first fruits, where the first fruits of everything you are blessed with, you give a tenth of it back to God. That belongs to him. And then you manage the rest the way God wants you to manage that. You see, it's not just what you bring to God, it's also how you manage the rest. Is what stewardship is all about. Again, last week we talked about that stewardship principle, and that is it all belongs to him. He's entrusted it to us temporarily. We're just here to manage his stuff for him. That's what we're doing. Whatever he allows us to have in our possession, we're responsible for managing that the way God wants us to manage it. So it's not just what you give to the church, making that okay. It's also, well, how are you using the other 90% if you bring them 10%? Are you honoring God with that? Are you using it to abuse alcohol and drugs? That's not honoring God. Are you using it to, uh, uh, in a way where you're not generous in any way with your family or your friends? How are you using that other 90%? Because he's going to hold us accountable for that part too. But it starts here, he says, with you're robbing me because you are not bringing the whole tithes and offerings to me. Tithing is giving back to God 10% of whatever he blesses us with financially. Uh, Barner Research has done studies of, uh, on tithing in churches in America for a long time now. And the most recent study says that the average, this is average, there are people giving more than 10%. Uh, the tithe is the base level, by the way. You can always give more than that. And some people are giving much more than 10%. But even with that in the average, the average Christian is giving less than 3% of their income back to the church today. 3%, just a little under 3% on average. But we want our churches to be strong. We want our churches to be healthy. Why is the church declining? Why isn't it doing more? Why isn't it helping the community more? Why isn't it uh, helping families more? The only resources the church has, has to work with is what? The tithes and offerings that the members bring. That's the only way you can do any of the ministry. See, that's the way God set it up. That's what the tithe was about in the Old Testament. Here's the way it worked in the Old Testament. They had the, the temple worship or the tabernacle, depending on the time period. They brought their tithes and offerings to the priests there at the temple. They had a storehouse there. They put the tithes and offerings into the storehouse. And out of that storehouse, they took care of the temple. They took care of the temple workers. They took care of the ministries and taking care of families and their communities. That's how the church did ministry. That's the example and the principle God established in the Old Covenant. Now remember, everything in the Old Covenant is pointing to what? The New. He's establishing an example here of what he wants for his people moving forward. This is how he wants it to work. So the church, the New Testament church, was established in a certain way that was just like the tabernacle temple worship where the new uh, Christians would come and bring their tithes and offerings at the, to lay them at the feet of the apostles first and then as the church multiplied and had other congregations, they would bring them to the storehouse there at the church, and then those funds would be used for ministry. That's the principle God established. That's how it's supposed to work. 
So if we want the church to be strong, what are we supposed to do on our part? We, by the way, who, who's the church? We are. So if the church is going to be strong, then we need to do the things God has asked this church to do, has taught his church to do, to make the church strong. And one of those things is to bring the tithes and offerings to the storehouse of the church. You see, you're giving your offerings to God. Uh, we still have a lot of people in the New Testament church today that like to do this. They like to maintain control of their money, even the money they give, to the point that they'll only give to select things that they like and that they want done at the church, right? Oh, you're doing a Christmas outreach. Great, I'll help with that. That's a good thing. That's not an evil thing. But when you only do those things, are you bringing it to the storehouse to be distributed for ministry that the church needs to do? No, not if that's all you do. You see, the principle was the tithe comes to the storehouse and then the offerings are for the special things that you do in addition to that. That's the setup. That's the organizational structure that God put in place. The tithe is brought to the storehouse to be dispersed from there. The offerings can be used for whatever good things you choose to give to and help with in addition to that. Special fund drives, special things that you try to do, right? Outreach projects. Those offerings you give to that, that's great, but that doesn't mean that's in place of the tithe. We try to dispersed make it like it's, if I've done that, I, I still, I'm not responsible anymore for the tithe. But you are, the way God established it. The way God set it up and organized it. I love the heart for offerings. That's a good thing, but the tithe belongs to God. You bring it to him, to the storehouse. And so the problem is, we don't need to keep stealing from God. Jack Graham, who uh, pastors of Prestonwood Church in Plano, Texas, said this, The purpose of tithing is to teach us to put God first in our lives. God doesn't need our money. Instead, He wants what our money represents. Our priorities, passions, purposes. In other words, our hearts. Make a commitment to tithe and dedicate yourself to it. And more than anything, trust God and let Him prove His promises. Do you trust God's promises in your life? Well, one of the key ways God sees that you don't just say you trust him, but you really do, is that you don't rob from him. You bring the tithe to the storehouse. So, the invitation is to return to God. The problem is that we're robbing from God. So, let's look now at the solution. How do we fix this problem? Well, he tells us, beginning in verse 10, how to fix the problem. It's not a hard thing to understand, okay? He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Hmm. Sounds like God has this storehouse of blessings he wants to pour out, but he's waiting on them to do what they're supposed to do before he pours out the blessings. Doesn't it sound that way? That God's right there with all this ability to do all these things, but he's saying, I want you to get your heart right first 
so that you will handle those blessings the way you're supposed to handle those blessings. And you'll give honor to the one who provides the blessings when they come. That's the way that works in God's plan. So he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. So here's what that means. They were giving some, weren't they? And most Christians give some. Now, it's changed a little bit. During COVID, uh, many churches like us, we did this at Lakeshore, we stopped passing the plate, right, during COVID. Sanitary things and all that, everybody's hands in the plates and all that. Some of you taking out more, making change, you know, that kind of stuff. So, <laughs> not saying I caught anybody doing that, I'm saying. Uh, so we stopped doing that. So we put up offering boxes, and a lot of people, of course, were already giving online, but more people started giving online and stuff like that. But here's the thing. That requires you to take even more initiative than before to do what God has asked you to do, what God's taught you to do in His Word. So more than ever before, you know what it's demonstrating? Where your heart really is, where your priorities really are. See, this is not just going to happen because we're not passing a plate and you're not grabbing for your wallet to throw some money when it comes by. You're not ruffling through your purse. You know, some of you ladies, I can't believe all the stuff you put in a purse. It's just, man. Just a tiny person. You could get, you know, a stack of stuff like this out of a, it defies the laws of everything. I don't know. You don't even have to do that now, right? You don't have to scramble at the last minute. So you have to decide in your heart, I'm going to do this. That's why it's a matter of the heart. It's not just a last minute reaction. It's not because you feel the pressure of people looking at you when the plate comes by. You know, some people make a show out of it when we pass the plate, right? Oh, hold on, let me write my check. <laughs> Oh, I've got to add another zero. I'm sorry. Here we go. Throw that in there. Make a presentation out of it. You don't get that anymore. So where's it got to come from? The heart. Here's what you have to know about God. He has never needed your money. He already owns what? Everything. But what he really wants more than anything is your heart. That's what he wants. He's given you his heart fully, totally, completely. He would like for you to give him his, your heart. He wants your heart given to him in return. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and I know people say, well, we're under the new covenant now. We don't have to tithe anymore. And I know all the arguments there, but you have to understand something about the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The New Covenant always only elevated what God was doing in the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant was always pointing to the New and something better that was coming. So if we've got better promises and blessings under the New Covenant, why do we think we should do less than what He was asking for under the Old Covenant? Does that make any sense at all? That we would honor Him less after He's blessed us more? That doesn't sound like the way stewardship works. So in 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 and 2, he says this. Now they're taking up a special offering in the churches to help out the, 
the saints in Jerusalem because they're going through all kinds of persecution and challenges there. So other Christians are jumping in there to help. And he says to do it this way. Now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, what, what would that be for them? Sunday, very good. Sunday is the first day of the week on their calendar just like it is for us. So here's how he said to do this offering thing. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. In other words, it won't be a last-minute pressure on having to take up an offering when I get there to get it. You'll already have, have this plan where you're giving it the way you plan to do it. Now listen to the way he says to do it. On the first day of the week, can you plan for that? Do you have to be surprised when the offering plate comes around? You know what we're going to do every Sunday? Collect an offering. Can you plan for that when you know what happens every service? Yeah. You don't have to be caught off guard. You don't have to be scrambling at the last minute. So it's a regular thing. Okay? He says, on the first day of every week, you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with what? Your income. You know what the tithe does? It's proportional to your income. It's the same proportion for everybody. So is it a fair way to do it? Yeah. If you made $10, what would a tithe be? A dollar. You didn't know you were going to have to do math today. <laughs> if you had $100, how much would it be? Oh, you guys are good. All right. If you had $1,000, what would it be? Right. So if you got paid this week, it's not hard to plan for how much a tithe would be. And you know we collect an offering on Sundays, and you know when you got paid, could you plan to proportionately give the way God blessed you? Yeah, all of us can. You see, that's why God gave us that example, that teaching in the Old Testament, to teach us how this would work. And he set it up in a way that's fair. If you didn't have any income this week, what would your tithe be? Zero. Does that sound fair? Yeah, it's equitable and fair for everybody, the, the system of the tithe is. You're not expected to give the same amount that person gives. It's all proportionate to how you've been blessed, what amount you've been given. That's the fairest, most equitable system that God could ever give us for how we do this. And so when the church says you need to tithe, it's not because we're trying to do something that's unfair to you. This is God's plan. And he's broken it down in such a way that it's fair and equitable to every person based on whatever income you have. Now here's the thing. Remember that when we tithe, we're honoring God. It should be done for that reason, from our hearts. If we do it with that attitude, for that reason, it's a way to honor him in our lives, to show him that he's first. That's what the tithe was for. It's to show that God comes first in your life. So we're showing that God comes first when we do that. But we also show that God comes first, again, with how we do the 90% that we didn't give to the church that day. We've got to honor God with that, too. Use it in good ways. And rightly, does God, God doesn't say you should never have fun or, or go to a ball game or, or go a concert or something like that. He doesn't say you should never do any of that stuff. He's just saying, don't rob me to do it. Right? In fact, he says he's given us everything for our enjoyment. He wants us to enjoy life, even tithing. 
So he's not saying, I don't want you to enjoy life. He's saying, don't rob me to do those things that you like to do for enjoyment. It's easy. The easiest thing to cut back on when you're looking at your budget is giving to the church. Because we're not going to foreclose on you. We're not going to charge you higher interest because you didn't give this Sunday. We're not going to hurt your credit rating when you didn't make that payment. Right? So the easiest thing not to do is tithe. Until you realize that means I just chose to rob God to do the other things I'm doing. When you really understand that, it's not so easy anymore if you love God and want to please God and want to honor God. See, then it becomes harder to rob from God when you really love God and want to honor God. Really love your parents, want to honor your parents, should you steal from your parents? No. Should you steal from God when you say you love God and want to honor God? No. See, this is not hard to understand. It doesn't mean it's easy to do. It's just not hard to understand. The principles are really simple and clear. It's a matter of what? The heart. It's a matter of the heart. It always has been a matter of the heart. It's not even a matter of money. It's not a matter of finances. It's a matter of the heart. And in the New Testament, he teaches us the same principle we just read about in Malachi 3. Look at 2 Corinthians 8, uh, 9, beginning with verse 6. Here's the principle God gives us in the New Covenant. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap what way? Whoever sows generously will reap what way? Each of you should give what you've decided where? It's a matter of the heart, right? What you decide in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a what kind of giver? Cheerful. I've, I've said this before. You've heard me say it a lot of times. The word translated cheerful could be translated hilarious. Okay? He wants us to have fun with this. My wife and I have learned to really enjoy giving. We enjoy it. We enjoy being generous. It blesses us as much or more than it could ever bless anybody else. We're not wealthy people that could give huge sums of money. And it doesn't have to be that to feel good about it. It's when you know you're doing what God asks you to do. You're honoring God and you see how God's using it to bless and multiply and do so much with it. It becomes fun to do this. It really does. And a lot of you know that joy. You know that fun because you're doing it too. But some of you are missing out on the fun. I'm going to talk the last message in this series is the fun that comes with this. We're going to talk more about that. But when we get this right, it becomes a source of joy in our hearts when we do it. Now, you know moments of that joy, don't you? Like at Christmas, when you take a, we've got the ornament tree out there. You can take an ornament and buy stuff for a child and bring it back and, and know that you blessed a child. Doesn't that make you feel good in your heart? When you do that, well, you can get that all the time when you're honoring God consistently through your tithes and your offerings. And you know that God's using it to bless people through the ministries of the church all the time. You see, when you see people come forward to profess Christ as Savior, people being baptized into Christ, when you see marriages being restored, when you see children uh, being able to be raised up in our children's programming and youth, when you see those things happening, you can know, I gave tithes and offerings and God's using it to do all that good stuff out there. You are a part of that, of the amazing work of the kingdom of God. There's no greater work than that that you could be part of. 
You see, this work is eternal in nature. It will last forever. Any other thing you spend your money on is so temporary compared to the eternal work of the kingdom of God. But you can invest in eternity. You can invest in the kingdom of heaven when you begin to return to God and honor Him in this part of your life. He goes on to say this. I love the continuation of the promises here. You give what you decide in your heart. Verse 8, God's able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. In other words, every time there's an opportunity to be generous, God's going to give you the the resources to be generous. Did you catch that connection? He wants to help you be generous, but he needs to see your faithfulness to trust you with that. As it is written, they freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed. He'll enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way, listen to this, so that you can be generous when? On every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Why? Because where your treasure is, there's what? That's where your heart will be also. Maybe today there needs to be a returning to God, a repentance, a getting back on track in this part of your life. Maybe it's not this part. Maybe you've just never surrendered yourself to Jesus to start with. Maybe today's the day you take that step. You can make a profession of faith. You can be baptized into Christ, rise up to a brand new life today. That's the gift of God. We have a Father that loves us so much, He's a giving God. He so loved the world that He what? Gave His one and only Son. Let's grow up to be like Him. Let's be generous like our Father. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank You for Your nature of giving to us. We know every good thing we have has come from You. You want us to be good stewards of what You trusted us with. Where there needs to be a returning to you, I pray that your spirit would be prompting through your word and your teaching and people would be turning back. I pray that for those who are already honoring you in this way, that they would understand the value of what a blessing it is through your kingdom work. I pray if there's somebody today who needs to take those first steps of faith, repentance, and come and profess the name of Jesus as Savior, that even today those steps would be taken. Father. May your will be done on earth as it's already being done in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray.